Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you enjoyed the last Real Talks episode with my mama about being patient and relying on God. For this episode, we are going to be starting with the first chapter of Esther. She has an entire book of the Bible, so I figured we could spend a bit of extra time on her and her story. Plus, I just absolutely love this whole book and Esther, and it's my blog and podcast, so I get to do what I want. Well, God willing, anyway. Shout out to Beth Moore and her Bible study on Esther for having guided me as I put together a Bible study for my equestrian team last year. Those notes that I had are helping me as I put together this episode and the upcoming ones on Esther. So, yeah, let's get into it. Before we get started, I want to give you a heads up. The book of Esther doesn't mention God really at all. Like, not at all. But just because his name isn't said explicitly doesn't mean that he isn't the author of the story. So here is your heads up for this story, but also a reminder for your own lives. Because just because we don't see God doesn't mean that he isn't in action. He's moving in the book of Esther, just like he's moving in your own life. So just wait until we finish this study together and you're going to look back and see how all of the pieces of the puzzle fit. Now I'm going to switch it up a little from normal and go ahead and introduce you to the main characters. First up, you're going to meet King Xerxes. In some translations, they use his Hebrew name, which is Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus? Oh, I don't know. I butcher it every time. It's like Aha. Surus or something, right? <laughs> but that, that, that's as good as it gets. So the first thing to know about him, just call him Xerxes, is that he is in charge of the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. And they tell you that much in the first verse of chapter one. But I'm going to tell you more about him after we read the chapter. Next, we're going to learn about Queen Vashti, the wife and queen to Xerxes. You'll become acquainted with a guy named Mordecai, who is a cousin and father figure to Esther. You're also going to meet, eventually, our story's villain, Haman, an advisor to King Xerxes. And of course, you're going to meet Esther. Esther is her Persian name, and it means star. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which means myrtle or fragrance, and it's a plant with a star-shaped flower. She's an orphan Jew, and the heroine of our story. Chapter 1 will begin with saying that this takes place during the time of Xerxes, but to be specific, it starts in 483 BC, three years into Xerxes' reign when he is 35 years old. Two generations before him, during the reign of King Cyrus, the Jewish people were allowed to return from exile into Jerusalem. However, some of them chose to stay and not go back to Jerusalem, and those people and their offspring are the Jews in this story. At this point in time, Greece was the only major territory not under Xerxes' thumb. With all of that in mind, let's read all of Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1 reads like this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes, and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace, for all the people, from the least to the greatest, who were in the citadel of Susa. 
The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant, in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zithar, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. Karshina, Shethar, Admetha, Tarshish, Mires, Marcina and Mamukin, the names in this book. <laughs> and they were the seven nobles of Persia and Medea who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Mamukin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord." Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, and all the women will respect their husbands, from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice, so the king did as Memukan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household, using his native tongue. So this chapter starts off with a party. A party with a bunch of military leaders and nobility. It was likely a way of Xerxes trying to gain support to invade Greece, which was a campaign he began that same year. And what a party! a 180-day party, followed by a seven extra days of an extravagant banquet with guests from the least to the greatest. That means the servants to the nobility and the princess. Everybody was in on this one. There was gold and jewels and expensive fabric and linens. It was wealth on wealth on wealth, like nothing you've ever seen. Not even Bezos could probably touch it. It was filthy rich. But Psalms 49 verses 5 through 12 says this, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly, no payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, 
that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations. Though they had named lands after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like beasts that perish. This psalm reminds us that you can have all the wealth in the world, but you can't take your wealth with you when you go. The more that people have, the more that people want. And you know something funny? I've seen those same people with so much get so angry when little things don't go their way. And when they can't control every situation or person, they think that with enough power or enough wealth that they can play God. And then when they run into situations where they can't, they blow up. And that's what happens with Xerxes, right? His wife says no and his ego is immediately crushed. Let's put a pause on his reaction real quick, though, and look at Vashti. Why do we think that Vashti refused to come to her husband? Number one, that was probably a humiliating situation to go into, right? To be paraded around like some kind of trophy in front of a bunch of drunk men. That's not exactly a queenly duty. Right from the jump, we know that she would be torn between loyalty to her king and husband and reserving her dignity. It must have taken some serious lady balls to stand up to Xerxes, and not just because he was a king, but because the man had a known temper. This was a man who demanded a river to be flogged. You heard me right, a river, not a person named River, a moving, flowing body of water. You see, he had this bridge built, and the bridge collapsed, so he killed the architects and then had his people lash the river, like with a whip. A whip! Crazy. <laughs> so, what... What were the components that made Xerxes have such a strong reaction to Vashti's disobedience? Well, first off, they were merry with wine. Partying for months on end probably will do that to you. Proverbs 31 verses 4 through 5 says, It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Why should kings chill on the alcohol? Because they're in charge of things. If they get drunk and carry out orders, they can start wars and lives or, I don't know, banish queens. Look, I know this story might not feel super relatable to you yet, but you don't have to be a king or an actual ruler to learn from this. Everyone at some point in time will find it in their capacity to be a leader. When that time comes to lead people or to even just be a voice of reason, you'll want to come into the situation clear-minded, sober-minded. But also... Every day you're a leader of yourself. It's kind of silly, but I always joke around that I have to parent myself on the daily. You know, you, you have to eat some veggies. Your room is a mess, you need to clean it. That's probably enough screen time for today. And etc, etc. We have to be leaders in our lives. In our spiritual lives, too. First Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Taking care of ourselves spiritually involves having a clear mind, because a clear mind is one that can fight off the enemy and fight off temptations. Am I saying that drinking is bad? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine once, so I can't say that alcohol as a rule of thumb is bad for everyone. But what I am saying is that it's a lot easier to make the right choices when your mind isn't clouded and foggy. Coming from personal experience, Moderation and self-control goes such a long way to avoiding regret, embarrassment, and also hangovers. The other thing that hurt Xerxes here with his reaction was his advisors. He had people who riled him up and encouraged drastic behavior. Sound familiar? 
and you should probably do some evaluating of your own counsel. And by counsel, I mean the people whose advice you receive. Maybe your parents, your roommates, your childhood bestie, your significant other, your coworkers, your mentors, your peers, the list goes on. Who offers you advice? And more importantly, whose advice do you find yourself listening to? Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If you want to grow as a person, you need people in your life who are going to make you grow. That means that you will hear things you don't always want to hear, but you probably need to. You'll have people make you see your own flaws and how you can improve them, all coming from a source of love, ideally. They won't encourage drama and fights. They won't fan the flames of your emotions. A good counsel will help bring you focus, and they're going to count on God's wisdom to guide you all. Keep in mind that you might be the fan flamer. Do you encourage the drama? Do you encourage the confrontations and not the loving kind? Watch yourself to make sure you are a worthy advisor. If you aren't, you might need to work on that before offering your advice next time. Next point I want to cover How do we view the concept of respect? The king and his officials thought that Vashti did not respect Xerxes. I think that Xerxes didn't respect Vashti to ask her to come out in the first place. So let's take a look at the Bible and get a feeling for biblical respect in marriage. Ephesians 5, 22-30 is always a great place to go. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So, is it still respect when obedience is only given while the other holds enough power to command it? It shouldn't have to be. The husband's leadership isn't supposed to be a power play at all. I mean, it's like those guys didn't understand the concept of the second half of those verses at all. They expected the submission, but without any of their own submission to God. I mean, they didn't exactly have Jesus as an example yet, and they weren't even Jewish, but still. At least we can understand and apply it today. We should be looking for a man who submits to God's will, just like Jesus submitted to God's will. To the point that he got on a cross to save us. So don't go submitting to a man that doesn't submit to God. You'd only be setting yourself up to be treated like Vashti, and trust me, you don't want a Xerxes. Also, as they mentioned, the law of Persia and Medea could not be repealed. Daniel chapter 6 verses 12 gives us another example of this type of law, but just keep that little nugget of knowledge, tuck it in your back pocket for now, because it's going to come back later on in the story. And then lastly, before I end this episode, and before we get to meet Esther next week, I would like to clarify that this is not a man versus woman kind of story. After all, there's going to be an example of an incredible man in the form of Mordecai. This is a story of foolishness versus wisdom, 
and bravery versus cowardice and waiting versus acting. I love a good female empowerment moment myself, but that isn't the point of the story. The point of the story is that God has a plan for our lives. The point is that there are times when there are things that are in our power to act. And the point is that God prevails. Well, that is everything I have for today. Don't forget to review this podcast on any of your favorite platforms, whatever you're listening to it now, and give a follow on any of the social media accounts if you haven't already. Maybe even share the link to some of your favorite episodes with someone you know. So (laughs) I hope that you join next time as we continue talking about and learning about Esther. I'm really excited for this next few episodes. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to have another Real Talks episode in between, so it'll just have to be a surprise. Plus, Easter's coming up, and I have a special Easter episode in mind to be doing as well. So yeah, just hit it in it spontaneous this time. As usual, though, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye. Bye.